All right. Morning. So I'll, I'll give this announcement now because it's a good one. But uh, Kevin, did you make brisket? <laughs> Don't mess around. I will have brisket. If you didn't, go immediately and get some right now. No, I'm glad. So after this, we're going to have a little shortened um, conversation, maybe. I mean, I, every time I say that, it's incorrect in the most egregious ways. But we're going to attempt a shortened thing here so that we can have more time to hang out and eat together. We're going to have family dinner, okay, church dinner, uh, or lunch. Who, did anyone else grow up calling it dinner? Okay, cool. Is that like a rural thing to call it dinner? Or is that just the correct way? Because what's after dinner? Supper. Supper. Very good. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yes. Good. Okay. Now that that's cleared up, now that that's cleared up, everyone, dinner will be following immediately. Um, but in all seriousness, please stay, please hang out, please eat. Um, we don't do a lot of things as a church that's like full church, spending time, just spending time, okay? We do a lot of restore group things and all that, but we don't do a lot of just hanging out. Uh, and then since the boy are here, it'd be even more exciting. So, so please stay. Please stay and eat. There's plenty of food. Um, uh, Kevin and Meg's restore and everyone, i just just list everyone. They made all the food for us, which is super kind. Um, so enjoy it. I think there's pasta salad even, yes. which goes great with brisket, right? <laughs> so it'll be awesome. I'm just giving you a hard time. German potato salad? That's what I'm talking about. It's going to be good. Let's just be done. Let's just go do that right now, right? I am, I am honestly like, ooh, ooh. Okay, so let's, let's turn, though, to Acts 3, and someone give me a very... <coughs> um, very brief, very brief uh, synopsis of the first few verses of chapter 3 um, to verse 5. 1 through verse 5, or 1 through verse 10, kind of what goes on. Just a quick synopsis. So they're in the temple. I'll help us start. So they're, they're going to the temple, Peter and John, and they meet someone. Okay. What is his situation? Yeah. He was? Right. Because of? Help him out. Very good. You're exactly right. Yeah, because he's crippled from birth. Exactly. Can't walk. Yeah, man. He, he's, he can't work, right? Physically, and he is now an outcast of society because of this. And then what happens? Peter tells him to stand up, and he? He jumps around, right? Leaps, jumps, dances, yells, I would assume. And again, we cannot think of this, and I, I, it's been in my head in funny ways this whole week, and because I'm ridiculous. We cannot think of this as like this super tame event, okay? This is not like, a silly movie scene where he slowly gets up and just, and the light shines in, everyone gently embraces, and everyone is quietly tearing up, you know, or whatever. He jumps and causes a huge scene to where the entire temple rushes 
to the place where this is happening, okay? So he kind of freaks out. And this is, this is kind of how, this is in my head. I was like, man, how, what is a good example of this? So it would be like, this is weird to talk about because my sons are, are very, at this point in their lives, very healthy and we're glad about that. But if Asher had never ran around, and that's hard to imagine because he constantly only runs in here, always, just in a circle, just in a circle running. What if he never had been able to walk? He had a little kid um, chair, my wife's occupational therapist, so it would actually be, it would be a good, you know, a fit for us to be able to care for him. But what if that had never happened? He had never been able to. We all know him as this boy who is sweet and funny and crazy and wild savage, but not in a running way. And then today, Holly Phillips just bursts in the door and screams, Asher is running and jumping. What would we do? We would probably all rush over there. I would freak out and say probably inappropriate, joyful things, run over, and we would want to see it, right? It would be crazy. We would be like, oh, and then if he is, it would be just mayhem, I would hope. I mean, I would be weeping. I would be excited. I would be in disbelief. I would wonder how this happened, you know? Like, please tell me it's permanent. Like, what is this, right? Like, he's probably happy. The whole thing would fill us with immense joy, right? You should, I mean, it's personal, so yeah, you're going to be like, of course. But it, it would, it would, right? That would be crazy. And we would love it. And it would be something we just, like, wouldn't know how to talk about with family and friends after this, right? To be like, oh, your mom's like, I know it would be so crazy. Ah, it would be crazy. Think about the conversation. If your mom calls and it's like, how was church? You're like, well, you know, it was fine. A kid started walking that had never walked. It was a little bit rowdy, right? How do you explain that to anyone? What do you do? What's the, what's the proper course of action? And that's where we find ourselves. And we, we have to continue to remember this is not just... A, a gray narrative. These are people that are, are emotional, real, loving, disbelieving, very believing, faithless, faithful, real people that react like real people and say real things and react in real ways. We have to remember this when we read these stories. Okay, so let me, let me read. I'm going to go back a little bit to verse 6, but then we're going to focus on 11 throughout. <coughs> this is what it says. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with him into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praise him, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. And while the man held on to Peter and John, which I think is beautiful, a a grown man that just now has life and is walking and running is like clinging to these men, thanking them maybe, kissing them maybe, high-fiving, surely something good, right? Just... 
what do you even do? How do you hug hard enough for that when that happens, right? So you have this scene, and all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, I love the statement, more than you know. Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? And they're like, get out of here with that. What? You know why. Don't, if you just want to tell us something, just tell us. Don't be like, everyone, why does this surprise you? Well, a guy's running around, leaping who couldn't. That's, that's the main reason, right? Dude, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, and you asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. That is not the statement you expect after this person being healed, right? He could have led with joy or something. (laughs) Instead, why does this surprise you? Do you think we did this? No, actually, let me tell you a story about the one who did this. You just killed him. He's the author of life. Pilate planned to just flog him and give him back, and you said, no, we disown him, which is even different than kill him, which is unique. He puts this in there and reminds them. It's not just murder that man, murder that man. It's he is not one of us, which is also like even a deeper cut to the cause of Jesus and to the kingdom and to what Jesus had been saying to them. So yelling that at Jesus was even more of a cut, right? It wasn't, no, we reject you. is you were never one of us. We disown you, which is, oh, so much sharper, right? So much sharper. And he calls all of it out. He says, not only did you, did you not want him released, you disowned him. You disowned the author of life and you had him killed. The author of life. The one whose exhale healed this man. Look what you've done. And he continues. He said, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Now here's what's important. And I want to... I want us to know this, and what we do with it, I'm I'm honestly not real sure, except we'll talk a little bit. But we are witnesses of this. If he would have said this without this act of healing, is it as heavy, legitimately? No, probably not, right? If I say, I don't even have an example. If I'm just there, there's no better example than that. They heal someone, everyone's amazed and going nuts about it and surprised. He gives them these harsh statements and he's like, and also God raised him from the dead. By the way, we saw that personally. It means something now that it wouldn't have right before they healed the person, right? Does that make sense? We have got to take that to heart. We've got to take that to heart. Us saying, yes, we believe in the way of Jesus or we believe in the kingdom of heaven at hand or I'm a Christian or whatever else, really more weight is, is, is happens with that statement when there is power behind it, when there is action behind it, when there is fierce love behind it, when there is generosity and sacrifice behind it, 
when the Acts 2, 42 through 49-ish way is being livid, live, livid. When it's being livid out by people, when it's being lived out by people, then it matters that they say, we saw Jesus raised from the dead, by the way. Before that, they can say whatever they want. And we know this. We know this. Unfortunately, our culture screams it at us. Our Christian subculture says so many things that honestly, in my opinion, don't matter very much because there's no power behind them. We are also guilty of saying, oh yes, we believe that racism is evil. Yet, where is the power behind our words where we have shown that yes, our lives display that racism is evil? We say, yes, true religion is caring for the orphan and the widow. Yet, where is the power behind our statement in which widows do not need caring for and there are no longer any orphans? I'm not saying we can't say we're Christians until there aren't orphans. I'm saying, though, power needs to lead the words. They need to lead the words. And displays of power, even, need to lead in the words. Not just your deepest conviction that you think about before bed at night, but that deepest conviction that keeps you up at night and that acts in the real world with real people, with real needs. People that really need their lives back. Then, when we say, also, we serve someone who didn't stay dead, and we feel like the kingdom of heaven is constantly at hand, moving and changing the world, and I'm an active participant about it, maybe that holds weight then. So I, I had this friend in... Uh, here we can tell a story. So I had, I had this friend in Connecticut when I first moved there, and I was, a, I was like a, kind of did some counseling and mediation and was a college pastor. And there's this one guy there. We took a bunch of students uh, to New Orleans and Africa that year. That was uh, Katrina, hurricane year. And then we also took um, a bunch of students to work at an AIDS hospital in South Africa. But there weren't any, like, church kids around to do college ministry with, which was totally exciting and enjoyable for me. And so we just took a bunch of people of all these different beliefs and backgrounds and all this stuff on mission trips, my boss called them or whatever. And we were like, man, we can call them what we want, but let's just go change the world together. It'll be awesome. So we had talked to this guy, Nick. His name's Nick DiMatteo. And he had come to one of the meetings about New Orleans or something, and it just kind of asked a little bit about our faith. We kind of told him a little, but he was not interested at all and not intrigued at all um, and really didn't care. He just wanted to go help uh, Hurricane Katrina relief in New Orleans, which was great. And obviously that's fine with us. We're like, of course you can still come. <laughs> yeah, man, let's get to know each other. It'll be great. So through that year, we go on these trips. We spend a lot of time together. He, me and him become friends. And we, we hang out and, and do a lot of things together. We also were in some interesting situations where he had a, a big family kind of meltdown during that time. And we were friends. And he didn't have a lot of people to trust. So I was able to be around and be there and really try to friend this guy in this situation. And all this stuff. Anyway... So, um, and I hadn't pressed the faith thing much further, and we're walking in Boston one day, and he legitimately, we're, we're walking, and we're on Newberry Street hanging out by this bookstore, and he's just like, hey man, 
I have to talk to you about something kind of important. Do you want to go in this bookstore with me? I was like, I mean, talk walking. You want to sit down? You know, like, what are we doing right now, you know? He's like, let's just, uh, just come on, man. I'm obviously asking you a serious question. Just come with me in the bookstore. And I was like, all right, fine. So we go sit down. And he's like, okay. So here's the deal. Um, we've been friends for a while now, right? And I was like, where is this going? I was like, are you going to break up with me? Is our friendship <laughs> over? Are you going to end our friendship today? Like, what's happening? I was like, what are you doing? You know, I'm giving him a hard time. And he's like, please don't joke about this anymore. I have a real question. So I'm like, okay, sorry, sorry. And he's like, okay, we've been friends a while. And I've seen, I've heard a lot of Christians say things. But I've also now seen some do things. And he said, so you know what I would like from you? Can you give me the spill on, like, Jesus really, like, you thinking he came and died and isn't dead. Can you just give me the story? And I was like, you me to tell you the gospel of Jesus? <laughs> He's like, sure, man, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. But just the long version would be nice. I have all day. I was like, yeah, man, we can do that. So in the beginning, you know, and we, we just have this lovely back and forth. We, we talk, we chat, we get some coffee, we go from there to a, a, a bar near Harvard that he loved. We, we hang out all day. We just talk about Jesus all day. Because he saw around his life believers that went and did what they said, but also loved him well, loved people with HIV and AIDS in Africa very well, loved people in, in um, New London, Connecticut well, where we lived, Loved the college students that acted ridiculous at, at Con College very well. And he was intrigued by that. So he wanted the spill, right? Then the story mattered. It mattered after that. And I just remember wanting that to be so deeply ingrained in me during that conversation. That the first thing, and I'm not saying... You have to be friends for a year before you share anything about your faith. That is not at all the moral of this story or whatever you want to say. However, it haunts me that he said, we've been friends a while now. Now I have a question for you. That lead is important to me. And it shaped a lot of how I think about faith and how I think about the kingdom and all these things because of that conversation. And, and a lot of that, again, is because I feel like he saw people around him that there was power involved with their words. Not just action. Powerful action. They didn't just say, oh man, I want that guy to be healed. They healed the guy. He got up and jumped around the temple. You're not supposed to do that. They, they didn't just do that. They didn't just say, yeah, we hope there's, you know, we, we pray for the poor. No, they went and sold their stuff. And they made sure there weren't poor people. They made sure no one had any needs. Right? I shouldn't say they made sure they, there weren't poverty because they all lived in poverty. This is a church of poverty. But they made sure everyone had needs. Right? Does that make sense? They, they led with that power. And that's important for us to remember. And then also, he goes on. He says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and no has been made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he is completely healed. Now that phrase, in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him, is this 
very, this, this kind of matters, but it's just more intriguing to me. Um, in, in Greek here, it kind of uses this play on words of his name in repetition. So it's like, um, it's because of his name, and in the because of this nameness, this happened. It's like kind of an actual way to say it, which doesn't make sense in English, so you kind of just have to say, in Jesus' name, he healed him. But it's like, because of Jesus' name, he's healed, and because of the Jesus' nameness that was named, Jesus is healed, right? So in the name of Jesus, by the power of the name even of this person, the person has healing. Um, And it goes on, now fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. This is how God fulfilled what he said and foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Then he tells them this. Repent then. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he would send the Messiah to even you because he's appointed to you. And this week, I'm overly captured by repent then, turn to God, your sins wiped out, and also refreshing may come to you. And just with everything that's happened these last couple weeks, I just feel we need refreshing to us, to all people, to our land, if we want to say dramatically, um, to my psyche, to our outlook to our town to the church as a whole who doesn't know what to say about the things that have happened in the last two weeks doesn't know what proper response means doesn't know if it has any right to say anything because it hasn't said anything about institutionalized or systemized racism for the last however many hundreds of years So how now do we have a voice? We need refreshing. We need repentance. Legitimate turn in our ways. Repentance. For not standing for injustice. For, as we talked about yesterday, for being okay with certain wrongs because we benefit from them slowly and surely every day. From turning blind eyes to wickedness, to allowing ourselves to be a part of it. For simple, simple, ingrained in us cultural things that cause distress in other people. For our need to get ahead at work that puts someone else behind. For our seeking our own security before the needs of other people. That is what I'm trying to figure out how to repent of. But, but God says, look, in ignorance, you did these things. In ignorance, they put the Son of God to death. He says, in ignorance, you did this. But ignorance doesn't leave out blame. Ignorance doesn't allow for unrepentance. If I sin against Lily in ignorance, that doesn't mean I don't have to change my ways. It means 
It means I need to be educated on how to love it better. It means I need to repent. Someone needs to tell me I'm not loving her better. And so we need to start realizing to ourselves and telling each other that we need to love better. That we need to seek justice with more fervor. That we need to, in the name of Jesus, enact the power of the Holy Spirit together. In real life, in real time, not through stories of nine years ago when I lived in Boston. And not through, I I don't know. We need refreshing. And, And just, I know it's not a simple formula. I know that. But it seems this week, I at least am overly caught by, repent then. Turn to God. Leave your ignorance ways in the past and push forward and see refreshing in your land. And I know, again, we are saying that on a Sunday morning where it seems like we're all in agreement, right, maybe. The world is not in agreement of this. I mean, our families aren't in agreement of this. We haven't shown to be, anyway. So as we seek this, and as we seek to live lives of power so that people give to thoughts of our faith we say guides our life, (laughs) then repentance of our ignorance is necessary. And helping each other see our blind spots is necessary. And I need you. I need you in that way very much. I need to go with the two of you on Saturday. Because you all think in such a beautiful way about social things, and I need it. So I'm thankful. I need you talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, because I don't think that way. I try. I need to. But I, I, I can't without you. So help me. Help us. You know? I need an active, legitimate, I don't just say things, I live justice like the two of you do. Badly. I need it. I need to see it with your neighbors more. Because I know you do it. I know the love your community has for you. And the way people talk about you when you're not around. And we need it. Badly. Eric, you better keep loving people that are difficult for the rest of the society to love. You're what they got. We need you to help us. But you cannot stop doing that. You have to expose our ignorance so that we can repent, man. You have to. This won't work outside of community meaning this. It wasn't ever intended to. And it can't. Power isn't displayed by singularity. 
and I, that's starting to sound cheesy, and I don't mean it to. But, but I mean it. And I just want us to pray about it, and I want us to repent of our ignorance, and I want us to know that we need each other, and I want us to enjoy needing each other. And then let's just eat brisket about it <laughs> and enjoy it. Let's pray together. Too often we are not caught up and embarrassed by our ignorance, Lord. So please help us. We feel we're strong enough or righteous enough or better than most. or Whatever it may be to help us just feel good enough to live unrepentant lives. But we do it. I do it. We're guilty of that. And the people once screamed out, give us Barabbas, we are not a part of this man, Jesus. And they killed him, put him on a tree, and in ignorance, they were proud of what they did. Lord, we seem to do the same every day. We seem to, in ignorance, say, I want the parts of the kingdom that benefit me. I don't want the ones that are hard. I want the part of Jesus' life that helps me have social standing and keeps me looking normal and holy enough with my peers, but the true holiness and life of Jesus is a bit much. God, please help us to repent. Please help us together to find a new way. Please help us truly together Bring about your refreshing to our world. There is such a tension in my life and in our life between waiting on you and bringing about refreshing. So just help us to struggle all the way through that and attempt to bring it about and then also rely and wait and watch for you to achieve it. Lord, we love you. God, please, as we take communion together, and as we take bread that we say is your body, and we dip it into a cup that we say is your blood for us, please allow us to know that being one with you is not just a religious token deed. Being one with you costs us everything. Being one with you brings power. Being one with you allows us to not just be a bodiless voice. So please help us. Please change us. We ask this in your son's name.